Superfan, best friends, and ghoulish knights, and welcome back to the 24th episode of Murders with Mertens. I am your host, Joe, and this is a podcast about horror, super meta slashers, dark comedies, body horror, the adjacent to the horror genre, thrillers, the psychologically terrifying, scary films in general. Each episode, I sit down with the guests and discuss one of their favorite scary films so we can gush about everything that makes it just so damned cool. Viewers and listeners, thank you for helping me reach my goal of 100 subs in 2022 on YouTube. It means so much to me. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, please consider subscribing on youtube.com slash at murders with Mertens. Oh yeah, that handle just rolls off the tongue, I know. Uh, or if you prefer an audio version, check me out on your favorite podcast service and be sure to give me a follow and five-star review if you are so inclined. It all helps get the word out. Uh, last bit of housekeeping. Uh, we're going to start 2023 off with a bit of a bang, a five-episode series focusing on the wonderfully meta slasher series Scream. Uh, every week, I'll be welcoming a special guest to talk about one of their favorite entries in the series and wrapping up just in time for Scream 6. Cannot wait. Uh, but kicking things off with, in my opinion, the greatest installment of the series, 1996's Scream, written by Kevin Williamson and directed by Wes Craven, I have the absolute pleasure of introducing the one, the only, Aaron Ritzesender. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this all week. Good, to be here. good. I've been looking forward to this as well. You uh, put out a post on the interwebs here uh, late last year of sure people that you wanted to do some collabs with in the new year. And we had probably talked briefly on you know Twitter or something like that, just about movies here and there. I think we're both people from various areas of the kind of funny community in one point or the other. And uh, yeah, man, uh, I'm, I'm happy we could make this happen. And for those who are uh, uh, visual listeners and viewers, uh, you can see this wonderful new logo that Aaron uh, was happy enough to create this. This is like one of the coolest stamp surprises I did. Th that's very special. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and of course, yeah. man. And I uh, made it just for fun while watching the movie. And I was like, well, I'll make this for Joe. See if he wants anything to do with it. If not, that's totally cool. But, you know, I, yeah. uh, I like doing stuff like that. It's fun. No, it's much appreciated. And hold that up again, your list of uh, podcasters and others yeah, that you so, would like to collab so, with. Like Joe said, I put a list out of people I want to collab with. Uh, it's very, it, I mean, it's not like the longest list ever, but Joe is officially the first one stricken from the record. And hopefully we will cross off many, many more of those as the year goes on. HBO Max, looking at you, Brandon McKenna, get on You're this. Next. Yeah. Oh God, those, they're, they're a ton of fun. So I <laughs> hope you get two. to do something with them. Um, so for those that don't know you, Aaron, who are you? What are you all about? Oh man. Well, in <laughs> short, uh, I am a nerd. Uh, I like making people laugh. I love treating people with respect. It's not that hard to be nice. Uh, and I love spreading positivity to people. Um, I love movies. I love comic books. I love pop culture, all of the above. If there's something ridiculous in any of those mediums, I have probably found it. And if I haven't, please share it with me. So here we are. Awesome. 
Awesome. Uh, yeah, uh, very recently you you did a quite the string of trailer reactions. So, oh, you know, yeah. people go check those out on YouTube. Um, yeah. Yeah, those yeah. are a lot of fun. I have a lot of fun making the thumbnails for those, especially the <laughs> one for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania that I did. So check that out. Actually, uh, fun, funny enough, uh, I think the most recent one I did was the newest trailer for Scream 6. And for that uh, thumbnail, we just recreated the original Scream poster. And that was a lot of fun. Nice. Yeah, I cannot wait for Scream 6. It looks ridiculously fun. Um, I like what Radio Silence did with Scream 5. I uh, love their work. Uh, cannot wait for what looks to be an even more brutal sequel. Um, yeah, it's a fun direction for the series. But speaking of Aaron, what what's your history with uh, Scream and the Scream series? Well, uh, you know, being a child of the '90s and making multiple trips to Blockbuster Video, shout out to Blockbuster Video. Um, I also, I'm a I'm a big scaredy cat when it comes to horror films, um, or at least I I was. I've warmed up to them a lot more in la- in my later years, but uh, I had brothers who loved them. So uh, my older brother one night was like, oh, let us get Scream. Let us get Scream. And my parents were like, I don't know. It's not like, no, it's not that bad. Like you guys are you. It's too it's too bad. You guys can't watch it. And uh, one of the blockbuster employees was like, well, honestly, if you are going to introduce them to a horror movie, this one is not as bad as some of the other ones are. So they're like, "Okay, sure. And then, you know, my parents were still my parents. So they're like, you guys probably shouldn't be watching this. But we got to watch the whole thing. And it's it's so funny and it's so it's so scary at the same time. Obviously, you know, watching it now, it it might not hold up as like to the the elevated horror of today. But it's so fuck that phrase. Fuck that phrase into the ground. All horror. All horror has something to say. I mean, sure, Absolutely. there's there's some absolute shit entries here and there, but for the most part, horror as a genre typically has something to say about something or another. It's kind of the point. It's a little subversive like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, man. Um, I, I think this movie holds up incredibly well uh, in its original release in December of uh, 96. I was a 17 year old senior in high school. I, I don't remember if um, I saw this with my girlfriend or what, what friend group it was with, but I remember we were all obsessed and oh, there, there's a fun story to tell about that later on as we get to an appropriate point in the film. But, um, but yeah, man, I was the target demo. I was a high school senior and you know, all the characters are of the same age in this film. It's, it's just, it's fucking perfect. It's yeah, man. Like it, it and, uh, so I watched, I watched scream when I was a kid and then, you know, like the sequels came out. I didn't see Scream 4 for the first time until probably like five years ago, I want to okay. say. So like the other ones I had seen here, here and there. And I remember watching Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back and they did the Scream 3 scene in that. And then finding out that they're actually in Scream 3 is great. No, sorry, future spoilers. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's great. And then so uh, during the pandemic, uh, there was a moment where, uh, so there's a 
So all movie theaters were closed. And there's a drive-in theater, like maybe an hour away from my house. And me and a couple of friends, we were like, hey, they're doing a double feature. Uh, let's go see Scream, because my friends had never seen it. And I was like, I want you guys to see this movie. So we went there, we watched Scream, and the second movie in the double feature was Scary Movie. Oh my so God. We got to watch Scream oh, wow. and Scary Movie in the same night, which wow. if you guys have never done, I highly recommend. It's perfect. Because we watched Scream and my friends were like, kind of, they're like, yeah, that was, that was good. Like, it was all right. And then we watched Scary Movie, and it, it's so weird how complimentary those movies are to each other. Which well, also, there's so enough, many people. Movie was the original title for Scream too, right? But it's right. so good. And the the funny thing is, there are so many people, especially younger folks, that you know they saw a scary movie before they ever saw a Scream, and mm -hmm. yeah, that's nuts. Yeah, oh, what a so fun then, double feature! Uh, when Scary Five or when Scream Five was coming out, me and my friends decided. So, two of my closest friends, Matt and Jordan. We, uh, once the pandemic started, we started watching movies over Discord with each other. And so we're like, let's watch the Scream series. Let's just go through all of them before Scream 5 comes out. We watched all of them. We had a great time. We went and saw Scream 5 in theaters. It was fantastic. And now we're here and we're obsessed. And what, back to what you were saying about seeing this movie when you were in high school. I was four years old when this movie came out, which we've talked about. But mm. I think it's so cool how, you know, our, our age difference being different. Like, it's so cool how a movie like this can play so, like, equally, depending, like, mm -hmm. like even though our ages are different. Like, it's so well, cool how movies and even horror movies can do that. That's a really interesting thing about the Scream series, because every film is this fun little microcosm of, like, the state of technology at the time the film's coming out. Right. And yet, there's other stuff going on in the film uh, or films rather that uh, they're just like universal truths. You know, they're like basic, like standard axioms that just hold true, um, you know, for, for really everybody, you know, it's, mm -hmm. we all go through the same high school bullshit, the same college bullshit that you see yeah. in these films. And that's, it's kind of perfect. It's, oh God, it's fun. Um, you know, as far as, you know, Wes Craven and um, Kevin Williamson, uh, you, you can't talk about this movie without bringing those two up and a couple of interesting points. I mean, it, this was out in 96 and about two, three years earlier, uh, we got Wes Craven's new nightmare, his uh, return to the Nightmare on Elm Street series and sort of the proto scream. Because mm -hmm. if, if you've never seen it, that is an incredibly meta nightmare on Elm Street about all the actors and creators from the series and having, you know, in their, you know, day to day life, having Freddy basically break into the real world. And yeah. th this was, you know, Craven's first stab at something like that. And uh, he just he, he cranked that dial up to 11 with Scream. Oh, and then, yeah. And then uh, the the writer, uh, Kevin Williamson, of course, he would go on to do Dawson's Creek and a bunch of other cool stuff. But as far as like uh, how people, how these kids would speak to each other on Dawson's Creek, it was just like Scream. All these kids <laughs> that sound so much older and so much smarter than they likely are, uh, just incredible 
incredibly meta stuff at every turn too. Uh, just so freaking fun. Oh, yeah, God. absolutely. God. Um, and uh, didn't didn't Kevin correct me if I'm wrong? Didn't Kevin Williamson go off to make uh, or write? I know what you did last summer. Also, yes. Which is yeah. very akin to Scream as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it got at least one sequel. I don't know if there were any directed video or anything uh, after I that. Think but... there's, I think there's three. So there's, there's okay. the first one, and then there's I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. And then I think there was a direct-to-video one that I think was I'll Always Know What You Did Last Summer. Boy, it sounds right, like that, but that but... could be some kind of Mandela effect thing. And <laughs> That's true. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, not quite as good as the scream films, but still kind of fun, especially for the time period. Uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah. It just, God. And, and I love that, you know, Craven continued on with these films, uh, and scream four was even his final film before he passed away. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Oh God. And um, I, I love that in, in the movie, he has no problem with like either, critiquing him like his own work and also oh, yeah. like the line at the beginning where it's like uh it was like the like nightmare at elm street the first one was good but the, the rest suck like, yeah stuff like that yeah because his Great. only involvement was as producer uh mm-hmm. yeah yeah probably just executive producer which also just means you know i'm making money off of this and i'm doing nothing <laughs> um, Yeah, exactly but uh yeah yeah uh, i think we should jump in here to the plot um we begin with an ultra 90s title card and one of the best fake out openings of the past 30 years so Um, good yeah it's it's a little bit of an homage to psycho in that the actress from the poster is not going to be in a lot of the film um yeah the one that's heavily in the advertising material you think is going to be the star is just off right away Yep, a perfect red so herring. Uh, we get Casey Becker. She's home alone, and she answers the phone uh, to our first call from uh, Ghostface, who's voiced by Roger Jackson throughout the series. Just this awesome, iconic voice. But The voice uh, of Mojo Jojo on Powerpuff Girls. There you go. There you go. Uh, and what starts out as a call from a wrong number turns into playful banter as uh, she makes some jiffy pop on the largest gas range ever. <laughs> Um, people in this town are fucking rich is all I'm saying. Um, all the houses are like super, super nice. Maybe not so much the Riley household, but, uh, for the most part, people, you know, live in, and they're on like tons of property. Like there's like no direct neighbors. Oh yeah. Mile long driveway. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, and then we finally get the iconic line of what's your favorite scary movie? Ah, uh, that's, it's one of the reasons why I had to, you know, kind of change the, uh, the direction of this podcast. So it was much more, what's one of your favorite scary movies? <laughs> because I'm sorry, if we just did your favorite, I, I'm never going to get people back on the show. Uh, no repeat <laughs> guests. So. Yes. What's your favorite scary movie? Well, she answers with Halloween uh, after a little badgering by him. And uh, they discuss Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, and like you said, the fun commentary on the uh, sequels uh, kind of sucking because of mm-hmm. uh, Wes Craven's lack of involvement. Uh, and then 
all of a sudden the call takes a bit of a dark turn with, I want to know who I'm looking at. Yeah. And so cool. Yeah. Really sets the tone for what's going on. As if the title scream didn't do enough. Yeah, because it's fairly playful until this point Mm -hmm. and not really scary. It's just, okay, she's kind of flirting with this dude on the phone and her face just kind of freezes and falls a little bit. And she's like, what'd you say? And he's like, I want to know who I'm speaking with. And she's like, it's not what she said. She gets, yeah, she gets a little freaked out and she hangs up and she's starting to lock some of the doors and the phone rings again. And, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think this is, uh, after he also says, don't you hang up on me? And Mm -hmm. he's like, when she answers the phone again, we immediately get, I told you not to hang up on me. And Drew, Drew, the the popcorn smoking. It's (laughs) okay. Um, and then we get the comment about him wanting to gut her like a fish. And this is where she starts to freak a little bit. She starts racing around the house, locking doors. And, you know, you got the voice taunting her and stuff. And we get a couple of quick flashes from the doorbell that freaks her out. And she screams out, who's there? And this is where the voice really starts laying down the rules. About, you know, hey, you should never ask who's there. It's like a kiss of death, right? <laughs> um, and Casey starts panicking a little bit here. Uh, and she starts threatening the voice with a beating from her boyfriend. And they go back and forth a little bit. And w- his name wouldn't be Steve, would it? Oh, once again, big old pause from Casey because, you know, she thought she was gaining back control. No, she's got no control whatsoever. Um, And then the voice asks her to turn on the patio light again. Again. Because, you know, he saw her do it the first time around when she was looking outside. He's been watching the whole time. And this time, here's Steve-O tied to a chair and clearly freaking out. Ooh, the voice wants to play a game. Movie trivia. Um, This is fun because they go far deeper later in the movie as far as, you know, horror movies, movie trivia, so on and so forth. But Mm -hmm. uh, right here in the beginning, it's very like top level. If you've ever seen a horror movie, you generally know a lot of this stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. I like how they keep it fairly light at this point. Um, so yes, movie trivia. Um, he asks her who the killer was in Halloween. She's able to answer with Michael Myers. Um, but then round two, name the killer from Friday the 13th. And she blurts out, Jason, it's Jason. Yes. And, uh, nope. Nope. Wrong answer. And she's, she's so pissed because she thought she had him and, uh, nope. You should know Jason only showed up in the sequels. It was Mrs. Voorhees in Friday the 13th. And, you know, lucky for her, there's a bonus round, but, um, 
Not so lucky for Steve. And uh, yep, this is where Steve's bowels are spilling out onto the patio. (laughs) And um, she's sobbing and freaking out. And the phone's kind of in her hand, but a little bit low. But you hear the voice a little bit distance, a little bit distant. Hey, we're not finished yet. Oof. <laughs> so yeah, and, and you know what? For a film that's not as brutal as some of the more recent sequels, the the way that the voice taunts with her is pretty damn brutal. Yeah, it's crazy how something as simple as a phone call can like be so scary. Because at one point she's like running, and then the phone rings again, and she just like jumps and freaks out. But it's just mm-hmm. the phone ringing because she knows who's on the other line of that phone. Yeah. Oh, God. And speaking of the phone, we'll get to that. Uh, Just how technology is used in this film and how everything was, again, such a perfect, perfect use of technology for the specific time period. We're going to get to that with the landline. Um, So, yes, the next question is, what door am I at? And I'll tell you, Ghostface only says that there's, you know, the front door and then a back door, but there are so many fucking doors in this house. She's mm-hmm. walking by doors every time you turn around. It's Door City in here. It's, it's, uh, it's, but, um, yeah, she doesn't exactly want to play ball. So Ghostface just throws a chair through the patio door. Um, <laughs> Got to get her moving somehow. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So she takes off running and she's armed with a letter opener. And this is where we get the smoke just starting to billow from the burning (laughs) popcorn. Uh, I love the use of the Jiffy Pop as uh, just another device to build tension because you're not necessarily thinking about it, but it's in the back of your mind that there's popcorn on an open flame and it's starting to burn and you get the Mm -hmm. little hints of it getting worse and worse as everything else in the beginning of this film is getting worse and worse. Um, it's a great little device. Um, so Casey pauses in the kitchen. She grabs a knife out of the block and, um, she and the audience, we, we catch our first glimpse of Ghostface running past a hallway and it's such a fast little flash here and you barely see the costume. It's just like this black blur. Uh, it happens so fast. Um, but, uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's spooky. Uh, she backs out of yet another door. Uh, and one that's clearly unlocked that she didn't get to, uh, and she hides in the shadows outside and, you know, kind of question her intelligence and in taking the phone with her as it'd be a great way to give away her location. Uh, mm-hmm. but again, that comes into play a little bit later. Um, she kind of peers through a window. She sees Ghostface searching for her inside and then she looks up and in the distance, a car is approaching, uh, you know, down the longest road ever past all these cornfields, but Hey, it's potential help, right? Yeah. Um, she peeks in again. She sees Ghostface. Ghostface. He's in the kitchen and she thinks about, uh, making a break for the car, but has to do one last little peek inside 
and he's right there at the window. Um, smashes through the glass to grab the knife from her and she smacks him in the face with the phone getting away. Now this is like the first instance that becomes a hallmark through most of these films of, uh, the perpetrator here being kind of a doofus and fairly vulnerable for such a, you know, horrific killer. Mm-hmm. Ghostface tends to get the shit beat out of him. Yeah. Which is, is you know, is, is like, perfect because it's not a jason Voorhees type right like they're not no. invincible they're not undead they're it, not supernatural it's, it's not an unstoppable killing machine yeah. yeah and and very very fallible and also it lends itself quite well to the comedic tone that most of these films have um mm-hmm. there's you know it, for the most part they are just straight up slasher films but there is a healthy dose of comedy in a lot of these so yeah, yeah it, it works um, so yeah, smacks him in the face. Uh, she gets away. And then as she's trying to get away, she pauses twice, once to look at her dead boyfriend. And then another point to, uh, watch her parents come up the driveway. And this is where Ghostface leaps through a window tackling her, uh, at the second pause. Uh, she manages to slip away running to her parents, but Ghostface is a little bit faster. Uh, and he muffles her screams and stabs her in the chest. Uh, in slow motion. Um, so Casey's on her back and she ends up getting her voice box crushed, but she manages to kick Ghostface in the balls. Nope. Um, and she kind of tries to crawl towards her parents, but she's unable to scream. Um, how convenient. Um, and then, you know, they're going to enter the house and she's right there at the edge of the front porch, but they just don't look to the don't left. Look that way. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, <clears throat> and let's see here. Uh, they walk into the house and they survey the destruction, uh, leaving their daughter to her doom. Uh, with her last bit of strength, uh, she pulls the mask off of Ghostface. And there's a little bit of recognition there, uh, but only she gets to see who it is. Um, yeah, not us. Uh, and then he, you know, starts to take her out. So there, uh, the parents are running around the house. There's smoke everywhere. They see all this damage and they're freaking out for their daughter. Um, you know, they're screaming for, her. um, and, uh, the dad tells the mom to call the police. She picks up the phone, but of course, because Casey still had the phone with her still engaged on the call with Ghostface, they can't call out. And again, the, the perfect use of the landline, which very few people mm-hmm. in this country have any longer. Um, great God. use of the landline. Great use of the the popcorn still because the popcorn's burning. The parents immediately see something's wrong. Uh-huh. Pick the phone up. They can hear Casey. It's it's perfect. Yep, and that's you know not just the fact that they can't get to the police because the phone's still engaged, but also uh, they get to hear her dying as Ghostface is dragging her away. Uh, so dad tells mom to get in the car and drive to the neighbor's house to call the police. And I think this is a bit of a callback to some lines from uh, the original Halloween at this point. Uh, but, uh, mom heads outside and she just 
pauses, of course, because she finds her daughter gutted and hanging yeah. from a tree. Sees the most horrible thing a parent could ever see. Like, you know the it. Dad's like, go to the neighbors, call the police, and she's so distraught. She's like, not my, not my daughter, not my baby girl. Goes mm. outside and sees this horrible sight. Oh man, it was so bad. Yup, yup, and we get this uh, fun little uh, almost Evil Dead cam style zoom in to mom screaming, and we uh, cut to a crash of thunder, and we um, just cut to uh, Sydney Prescott typing away in MS-DOS, not even Windows 95. Uh, It's old as shit. Um. But she hears, you know, the thunder crashing in the distance as well. There's a storm coming through town. Love sympathetic weather. Always have. Um, But, uh, yeah, she hears a little bit of a noise outside the house. uh, Something that sounds like a uh, flower pot breaking or something like that. I would say it's a roof tile, but no, they have regular shingles on this house. I noticed later. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, she goes to check out the window and she's startled by her boyfriend, Billy. Uh, who she lets in, uh, telling him he needs to leave right away because her father, whose room is right next door and he likely heard her scream and immediately dad knocks at the door. Um, he knocks, but basically just bursts on in, you know, wait, wait to wait for your kid to actually answer after you knock. Yeah. Sid was lucky because she has the, the closet door right the next to her bedroom door. perfect configuration. Like, yes. And, and I think her bedroom door was like cracked. So the dad's like, what's going on in here? I heard screaming. Uh-huh. Like, Chill yes. out, man. Yeah. Yeah. The closet door, when swung completely open, lines up perfectly just on the inside of the doorknob from the bedroom door. So when the bedroom door swings in, it just locks into the closet door. And of course, we'll get a call back to this later. Um, So yes, dad's coming to check on her because first of all, he thought he heard her scream, but uh, also he's leaving on a business trip in the morning. He wanted to say goodnight slash goodbye because he had to leave pretty early. He reminds her of where he's staying and then he's leaving some money, uh, you know, downstairs for her so that, you know, she can get by over the weekend on, you know, pizza or hard drugs or whatever. Um, (laughs) And, uh, you know, they, um, they, they say their goodbyes slash goodnights. And he says, you know, I could have sworn and I heard screaming and I love the look on his face here because otherwise he is the most like bland throwaway character ever in this film of the, uh, you know, two scenes that he's in or whatever, but the little look on his face is great. Um, but he leaves, she shuts the door and Billy pops up with the stuffed animal from the other side of the bed. Um, And he wants to talk about their lack of physical intimacy, but in terms of film, um, (laughs) this is, uh, um, you know, it's, it's very on the nose, very meta, which is, you know, the whole movie, but you know, I, I, I thought it was so funny just him being like, yeah, we were hot and heavy. We were gearing towards an R rating or we were at an R rating on our way to an NC 17. And lately we've been kind of edited for television, which it's totally cute in the world of the movie. But if I had a friend who talked to me like this all the time, I'd be like, you got to calm down, man. You got mm-hmm. to chill with mm-hmm. that. That's kind of exhausting, but let also, alone everybody kind of talks like that in this movie. Oh, yeah. 
Oh yeah, it's very Kevin Williamson. Um, and you know, also just having a significant other talk about your relationship in these terms is so <laughs> fucking condescending. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, she's. She's got the hot boyfriend. Yeah, she is. She is. Um, How about a PG-13 relationship? Yeah. (laughs) So he manages to convince her to do a little on top of the clothes stuff. Okay. For like 10 Uh, seconds. Yep. Yep. He gets a little bit too handsy. And, uh, you know, she decides to kick him out. Um, but yes, she gives him the PG 13 relationship. Um, and, um, shout out to the cool little cover of don't fear the reaper by this, uh, Gus black that plays during this. I thought that was pretty dope. Yeah. Um, I like the singer songwriter shit and it was pretty cool. Um, so, uh, we cut from here to the next morning with school being a three ring circus with the petting zoo as uh, police and the news media have descended on campus investigating the previous evening's murders. Uh, we're introduced almost immediately to Gail Weathers, a reporter for Top Story and uh, Sid's friend Tatum. So Top Story is like this bullshit inside edition style, you know, it's not a real news like national news type thing but it's one of those more salacious ones from the right. 90s it's not um, it, like they want to be dateline but they're not they're above tm they're they're below dateline but maybe just above tmz yeah yeah kind of like it, ambulance chasing news people oh yeah oh yeah um that that's a perfect way to describe it um and with little tact, uh, Tatum spills the juicy gossip about Casey and Steve, pausing when she realizes she's about to bring up a sore subject for Sid. Um, and then I also love that she mentions the uh, that that they are questioning the janitors again. A nice little sly uh, Nightmare on Elm Street reference. Yep. Um, so fairly early on in the day, then Sid's called into the principal's office to be questioned. And, uh, we get introduced to a very young David Arquette as deputy Dwight Dewey Riley and the wink as the principal, we got Henry Winkler as Henry pr- Winkler. principal Hembry. Um, it's, it's shocking how young he looks in this, but you got to yeah. figure this is, you know, a good, you know, what, 26, 27 years old at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, Henry Winkler's fucking great in this movie. Oh, he's the gra- <laughs> he's the best. He's so good. Also, shout out to to David Arquette and Dewey Riley. I I love David Arquette. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, that's also my pro wrestling fan side because David Arquette is okay. a a wrestler as well, and it was obviously in the movie Ready to Rumble. Former WCW World Heavyweight Champion, also. But uh, I love him. He's so great, and Dewey yeah. is such a good character. The uh, the doting deputy. And shout out to the sheriff who played one of the deputies in Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. So there you go. Um, so yes, uh, they kind of pussyfoot around the, the tragedy in Sid's past and, you know, we get to asking questions and Henry Winkler is like way too hands-on as a principal. He's like touching her chin and like rubbing up on her. He's it's like, no, no, you, you don't get to do that as 
that kind of authority figure, you know, yeah, not even in the nineties did you get yeah, to do that. And even when, uh, they're calling for the, um, or maybe it was either when they call for the curfew or maybe it was before that principal Henry gets on the, the student intercom and he's <laughs> yep. like, I love you. Like, yeah. remember your principal, your principal loves, you. loves you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so like his heart is totally in the right place. I get it. But it's just like, really? That's kind of, that's kind of weird. Yeah. It's super creepy. Um, <laughs> But yeah, they just, you know, question her a little bit. And then we cut to, yes, that PA broadcast. And then uh, we get the rest of our uh, little friend group here with Stu and Randy in the fountain scene that includes one of the most Kevin Williamson conversations ever as they discuss being questioned and their theories about who did it and so on. Uh, And yeah, Stu and Randy, uh, they're gross. And uh, Sid bugs out to head home. Um yeah. Fun little scene though. Uh, you, you absolutely understand who everybody is in this group. Uh, yep. you know, what their function is. Um, who is Billy's best friend. Randy's the super Uber movie nerd. Yep. He is absolutely the fifth wheel in this scenario all the time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they still love him, but also, yeah, yep. He's, he's just there. Um, <laughs> So yeah, yeah. Sid heads home and, uh, she hops off the bus and holy shit. What a nice house. Yeah. Um, no kidding. It's all these, it, like, it was earlier. Like all these houses on big flat parts of land. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. These rolling no hills neighbors. in the distance. You know, we get some awesome shots of that later in the film, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so Sid makes plans to sleep over at Tatum's, um, you know, you know, for one thing, your dad's out of town, but also with everything that's going on, it just kind of makes sense to buddy up. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, she's got a bit to wait before Tatum picks her up. So she pops on the TV and unfortunately every channel is the news talking about the murders. And then she lands on Gail Weathers, uh, who goes one step further to discuss the rape and murder of Sid's mom nearly one year ago. Uh, here's where we finally get why everybody is walking on eggshells around Sid and it's, you know, but also it's great that we got all of the, um, you know, little clues leading up to this instead of just somebody spelling it out right away in the beginning. Uh, I, I think it's fun that it took this long to get to this point. Yeah. It was uh, a fun little mini mystery up until that point. It's like, Oh yeah. What, wait, what happened here? Oh wow. Okay, cool. And I think it just makes you pay a little bit more attention to what's going on because mm-hmm. they're always bringing up that there's something but you know, not just spelling it out. So that's cool. Um, let's see here. Uh, Sid's a little freaked out by what she's seen on TV. So she turns it off and she heads into another room and decides, you know what? I'm going to take a little bit of a snooze before, uh, you know, Tatum shows up and yeah, uh, she's, um, kind of startled awake by the phone and it's Tatum. She's on her way. She's running late. Uh, this is probably like a regular dynamic in their friendship here, but, uh, uh, she tells her to hurry up. Um, you know, she's clearly freaked out and doesn't want to be alone. Um, and then the phone rings again, not Tatum. Yeah. Nope. It was, it was so funny. Right. But right when, uh, Sydney's like Tatum, hurry up, just leave the house or whatever. And she's like, don't worry about it. Casey Becker didn't bite the dust until after 10. <laughs> and then right. right after that ghost space call. Right. 
Right. Um, so she thinks that the voice is probably Randy and we get another very Kevin Williamson line about, uh, her thoughts on horror films. What's the point? They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big breasted girl who can't act. Who's always running up the stairs when she'd be going out the front door. It's insulting. It's insulting. Yup. And you know, the killer claims he's, uh, calling from the front porch. You know, and, and this is, you know, after it's very clear, this is not a playful phone call now. Uh, mm-hmm. And so Sid decides she's going to call his bluff. And she's going to step outside. And, you know, she walks to the edge of the porch, looks around, you know, can you see me? And he's like, uh-huh. And she sticks her finger up her nose and is like, what am I doing? And he doesn't answer. And, um, you yeah, know, she's like, again, calling his bluff. And she goes to hang up and we get that. If you hang up on me, you'll die just like your mother. Such a good moment. Yeah. It's so so great how like shout out to Roger L. Jackson, because like his voice can sound so like calming. And then at even at the beginning with Casey Becker, so flirty and dare I say sexy. And then immediate like please dare deadly thing you've ever to hurt in your life he's so great such a perfect voice for this role and you know thank god they kept him on uh for you know the rest of the movies uh because i can't even imagine having somebody else just attempt and we've all attempted but uh yeah. yeah it's just it's not the same um so yeah she's you know musters some courage, you know, yells out, fuck you, you cretin. She locks the door, slides the chain across. And this is where uh, Ghostface pops out of the coat closet and, um, they tussle. And when he gets her on the ground, he smacks her head against the floor, which, you know, God, you feel that. Um, oh, yeah. and he's either savoring the kill or not intending to kill her at all. But Sid takes advantage of his hesitation as she kicks him off. Uh, she struggles with the chain lock, of course, and ducks out of the way of a stabbing and then runs up the stairs to her room, just like the people she's critiquing in the horror films yep. that she doesn't like. And she locks her door, but immediately positions the closet door. Like we talked about earlier as mm-hmm. wonderful callback, perfect architecture for this situation. Um, and she tries to call the cops, but just like Casey's parents, the lines engaged because she never hung up the phone that she dropped downstairs. That's a problem. Absolutely. For some reason though, she has a program on her computer, uh, for the deaf that connects to nine one one. Um, I, I, I guess I never researched this ever to figure out what exactly this was or why she would necessarily have it. Maybe it's mm-hmm. just a little, you know, convenient. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe it has something to do with something that she was, it, uh, you know, studying for school. It, it could have been installed potentially after the death of her mom. Like it could, it could have been anything. Yeah, that's true. She could have, uh, been going through a little bit of, uh, PTSD stuff where she wanted well, to have just about everything she possibly could to, you know, as an extra layer of protection for herself. It, it could have been a studying thing because, uh, kind of future spoilers here in scream Two, Sydney becomes a nine one one operator. 
So it could potentially be something like that. Oh, the third one. Or yeah, right. That's Scream Three. Yes, correct, correct. My mistake. My mistake. But yeah, yeah. She's like some kind of um, like uh, what do you call it? Like uh, like suicide hotline type thing. Right. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. So yeah, it could have had something to do with that. That's that's an interesting point. Um, also, but yes. uh, really, really quick, back to mm. um, when Ghostface busts out of the closet. Earlier, when Sydney's walking through the house, she opens that closet door, and there's nothing in it, and she like puts something in. Oh, there. that's true. So that's then, true. That, that was one was of those great little. In the house? Yeah, there was one of those great fake out moments with her looking in that closet because the music mm -hmm. hits as if something's about to happen, yeah. and you often get those moments where the closet door opens blocking the shot and then mm -hmm. when it closes that's where the killer is standing or whatever which the um, franchise has done a few times since oh then, yes it's, it's always nice to see every time it's like okay good yep, they, they know what they're doing absolutely yeah. um so yeah just as this uh 911 program is starting to connect um she realizes the ghost face isn't there anymore and this is where Billy pops into her windows, startling her. And, you know, she kind of melts into him. And, um, you know, she's having her freak out moment. She kind of lets him know what's going on. Uh, and this, of course, is where he comforts her. But a cell phone drops out of his pocket. And when she sees this thing, this is where she suspects the worst. And she backs away from him and runs down the stairs as, you know, he, you know, puts two and two together. And he's like, no, no, it wasn't me. It's blah, blah, blah. And, you know, she runs down the stairs, gets to the front door. And uh, when she swings it open, there's Dewey with, for whatever reason, the ghost face mask mashed up against the front right door and a gun in his hand and they they scare the shit out of each other they both scream um <clears throat> and uh it's chaos outside her house from that moment on uh you know billy's getting cuffed and led away uh tatum shows up and embarrasses the shit out of dewey this is where it's revealed that they're siblings um yep. and uh jesus the camera hurry my name isn't Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I love Kenny so much. Kenny's oh, great. So great. Shout out to Kenny. Yeah, um, shout out. Oh God. Um, Dewey's having, uh, oh, well, basically after everybody drives away, um, uh, Dewey's at the station. there talking to Sid. They're having trouble locating, uh, her dad, um, you know, they, they double check where he could have been if it wasn't the place that, you know, he was talking about. Um, but, uh, and, and, uh, Dewey, uh, gets called away from his desk and we get some extra, extra tense looks across the police bullpen, uh, between her and Billy. Um, and then cut to the sheriff's office where Billy and his dad, uh, are sitting there because the sheriff is questioning, you know, a kid son uh, for murder yeah and billy's dad is absolutely that parent that goes in and demands the teacher offer a makeup exam or a reevaluation of a grade or something like that yep. he he's that parent um and male Karen. oh you know it um yep and then the sheriff decides to hold billy until his cell phone records clear him uh which makes sense 
Mm-hmm. It makes sense given everything that's going on. Um, and Tatum shows up at the station. She wants to take Sid home because she's clearly having a hard time of it. Um, then we cut over to where Dewey was going and yeah, uh, turns out the ghost face costume is widely available, uh, with no real way to track it. The sheriff's convinced that it's possible a kid could be the killer. He wouldn't have believed it before, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and once again, Tatum has to embarrass the shit out of her brother, Dewey. And, um, the sheriff suggests that they just head out the back door and head home. Um, where of course out front. Yes. But of course, Gail is, uh, you know, conniving little thing. Uh, she and Kenny sneak around the corner already. Yep. Yep. They know there's a back door and, um, yep. They run into Gail. Uh, Gail tries to get a word from her. And uh, Sid Dexter, yeah, and oh, deserved it. Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, she's been yeah, a little bit of a bitch to Sid. Um, and she's Tatum, been of talking course, about her mom so much on the news. And like, yeah, not always yeah, been so nice. Is writing a book about the whole death of her mother, and uh, yeah. you know the Which uh, is so crazy because Sydney, Sydney, like punches Gail and. And Gail is saying all of these things because she thinks Cotton Weary is innocent, which mm-hmm. in her defense, she's right. But oh, yeah. like, <laughs> Sydney doesn't know that. So in nope. Sydney's mind, she's like, she's talking smack about my mom. So I want to punch her. Oh, yeah. Face. And it's revealed later that Sydney was like the key witness that put Cotton away. So, yeah. you know, she probably is fairly convinced he was the killer. So somebody trying to exonerate her mother's killer. Yeah she's probably not too cool on this. That's yeah. yeah that, that makes sense. She um, her free copy of the book. And just- oh yeah. That's what makes her break. Yep. Yep. Um, so Tatum is super impressed and can't stop gushing, uh, <laughs> as they get ready for bed. Uh, bam, pow, bitch went down. Um, Sid, super bitch. Super bitch. Um, yeah. <laughs> so good. I, I don't know that this could get any more nineties. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dewey offers some ice for Sid's hand. Uh, it's very kind of him, uh, as well mm-hmm. as protection from his room next door. Absolutely. Tatum, not so impressed. Um, she's so over her older brother. Uh, this is where, uh, Mrs. Riley pops in to let them know that Sid has a phone call. Uh, she wonders if it's her dad. She doesn't think so. She picks up the phone and of course it's Ghostface. Um, and this is, of course, after Dewey has gone to bed. So he's behind a closed door while all of this is going down. Uh, Ghostface taunts Sid about uh, accusing the wrong guy, implying that, oh, again, implying that she accused the wrong man in her mother's murder. And it, where I was going with this with Dewey uh, not being in the scene, I love how they have characters enter and leave scenes. So you'd yeah. be excused if you expected Dewey and they use mm-hmm. him and other characters as red herrings throughout this film in this way is fucking perfect. And I love yeah. it. In, um, in this scene in particular, I, it has my favorite Dewey moment in the whole movie because Sydney's talking to Ghostface and she's like, leave me alone. Just leave my family alone or whatever. And Tatum and Dewey's mom leaves the room. 
And then later she comes back with Dewey, and Dewey's just got a gun just walking around the house with it. <laughs> uh huh. He changes uh-huh. the phone when everyone's left the room, and he just goes, Hello? And then it just cuts to the next uh-huh. scene. Yeah, and it's perfect because he doesn't pop out of his room until they've already hung up the phone. Yeah. The call has ended. So again, you would be excused if you expected that he could be the killer. Um, and then we cut next to uh, Red Right Hand. It's uh, first used in this film uh, by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Uh, that's a pretty dope album that that comes from, too. There's nothing like driving to work uh, on a super gray, slightly rainy fall day listening to Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Oh, yeah. Uh, that One sets a tone. One of my favorite tone. uses of that song is in Hellboy, the Del Toro Hellboy. Yep. Great use of that yep, song. Yep, yep, yep. And this song is in every Scream movie, I think, except for one, right? I think it's, in, I think it's not in number four. Um, I could be wrong. I can't recall. Well, can't later recall. in the series, we'll find out. We will find out, yes. Um, because this is happening, yes. Um, but yeah, love that song. Always have. Um, love Nick Cave. Love the side project, Grinder Man. All that stuff's fun. Um, but yes, uh, we get our first glimpse of Lab Schreiber as uh, they show some archive news footage of him being led away. Um, and this is during breakfast time at the Riley house here where uh, Dewey, who has clearly already been on the phone with the station, uh, lets the girls know that uh, Billy's been cleared uh, and they're still looking for Sid's dad. Um, yeah. Not great news. Not great news. Um, Not ideal. No. The deputy drops the girls off at school, and Sid is immediately accosted by this nasty-ass reporter who, you know, wants to be another Gail Weathers, I guess. Um, Which, uh, that reporter, I believe, is the the same woman who played the little girl in The Exorcist. I believe. That, yeah, that is Linda Blair, yep. Yeah, Linda Blair. That's true. Yep, yep. Fun little cameo there. Um, Sid spots Gail a little ways down the sidewalk, and she heads over to talk. Gail's not having it. She's not ready for another. uh, uh, She's not ready for round two. Um, But uh, she relents when Sid tells her that, you know, she owes her mother. And, uh, you know, here we get the full story of their uh, shared animosity. Uh, You know, Sidney's testimony put Cotton away. But Gail made a living off stories vouching for his innocence and calling Sid an unreliable witness. Now, Gail thinks that Sid isn't all that sure and that the killings could be related. Um, yeah. It's a lot to unpack. It is. As a, as a teenager in high school. Yeah. Yeah. The, the fact that you've got somebody on death row who um, you put away that um, could be innocent after all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Now, um, things are absolutely nuts at school still. Um, you know, Stu says that it's like Christmas. And, uh, you know, when Sid asks about Billy, he makes this crack about uh, Sid branding him the candy man. Um, and we get um, somebody running down the hall in a ghost face costume, you know, freaking everybody out, just kind of having fun with it. Um, and Sid kind of storms off, but of course she immediately runs into Billy and they have a 
pretty tense conversation. Um, cut to the wink, uh, with a couple of these kids with their costumes and, um, wow, he is being extra aggressive with them, uh, brandishing a very large pair of scissors and he's like (laughs) slicing up one of the masks in front of them and just like dragging the scissors across one of the guy's chests. And yeah, like we were, we were saying earlier how he's so like hands-on and so kind and then this, the complete other side of this, he's like, you guys are expelled. Mm. Like, you're you're completely expelled. They're like, what? No, yep. that's not fair. And he's like, you know what? That's not fair. What would be fair is to gut the both of you or something like that. And he's dragging the scissors across uh-huh. this poor kid's chest, which is like, yeah, he did something oh, very yeah. insensitive while running through the hallways <laughs> during a, like, a series of murders. But like, the principal technically threatened this kid's life. Yep, yep. And this is another great red herring moment because you, again... Could be the principal. Who Could knows? Principal right? Him, yeah. Right? Because, you know, he's extra gross with people. Uh, <clears throat> so then we cut back to Sid finally getting to the head to uh, freshen up. And, uh, well, she overhears some mean girls talking about her in the stalls. And that just sends her, you know, spiraling even more. So she hops into a stall herself before they come out. She doesn't want to have that confrontation. Um they they're just extra gross about it all and then they leave and she steps out only to hear somebody whispering her name and you know she gets down on the ground looks under the stalls doesn't see anybody she hears it again she looks again backs up a little bit and this is where we get that awesome awesome shot of the boots stepping down from on top of the toilet and then the robe falling down around them so cool like as if she wasn't already in danger enough with the feet just the robe like coming down mm-hmm. like a garage door ironically feels the yep. fate it's so great yep. Yep. And then, um, yeah, yeah. Basically, uh, Ghostface comes bursting out of one of the stalls and she, you know, kind of slides under him and manages to get out of the restroom uh, and, you know, runs down the hall. There's like a teacher, like <laughs> just standing there staring, doesn't even say a thing, doesn't even tell her, hey, stop running. Uh, nothing like that. Uh, <clears throat> it's, uh, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's interesting. But, um, so let's see here. I kind of lost my place a tiny bit. Don't mind me. Um, yes. Okay. So she escapes. And then my, my big question here, uh, sorry to kill the momentum, but, um, how did Ghostface get in there? So I I don't think he could have gotten into the stall before Sid entered the restroom, just based on everything that was happening. Uh, But was there just enough time between the mean girls leaving and Sid walking out of the stall that that could have happened? Maybe. And I think it it ultimately depends on who it was in the bathroom, too, if it was Stu or Billy. Because didn't she go into the bathroom after she just talked to Billy? So it must have been Stu. So spoilers for the end of the movie, but yeah, Stu and Billy are the killers. No, 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 no. But uh, yeah, you're right. She had just talked to Billy before she walked off to the restroom. She just ran into Billy after Stu was with Tatum, like 10 to 15 feet back down the hallway. I Mm -hmm. don't know that 
Stu could have run around and he would have been in her line of sight as she's talking to Billy entering Mm -hmm. that restroom if he had run around. So it had to be between the mean girls leaving and her walking out of the stall. But man, with those, you know, big ass doc Martins boy stepped very quietly getting into that, you know, stall and everything. Yeah. Also would have had to have gone into the bathroom with probably a backpack or something. Cause you're not just going to walk into the bathroom in a ghost face costume. So, well, I mean, there were maybe, other kids running around the school true. in the costume. So it's like the perfect excuse to be doing it as well. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you got that slight little gap in logic and you just have to say, okay, it's movie logic. We're okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I assume that's the time that he gets in there. Um, well, after she runs out of there, we cut to, you know, Gail, uh, running into Dewey outside the school and she flirts with him and questions him. And, um, is this where we get the Dewey theme in the score for the first time? I think so. Yeah. Which is just lifted from another movie. Yeah, pretty much. Although that's film scores in general, cause they oh, all use sure. those, temp, they all use those temp tracks to, mm-hmm. you know, work with scoring from other movies. And that's why mm-hmm. everything sounds like uh, James Horner's score from aliens. Um, right. But uh, yeah, they, they have their little back and forth, which is super fun. And uh, uh, it, right after that, we get the principal suspending classes and sending everyone home. Uh, Tatum and Sid, they leave with everyone and they run into Stu, who tells them he's hosting a party at his house that night. Um, back to the office with the wink as he's trying on a ghost face mask. And, uh, you know, he's a little startled by a knock at the door and then his own reflection in a mirror, uh, that such a fucking doofus. Um, (laughs) uh, the knock comes again. Uh, and this time he, you know, pops open the door and, uh, walks out into the administration office there and there's nobody there. Um, and then he looks out into the main hallway and he looks around and he's like, little shits. And this is where we get an awesome cameo from Wes Craven, uh, the director wearing a pretty traditional Freddy Krueger getup, uh, and playing a janitor named Fred who also, uh, calls the principal a prick under his breath as, uh, yeah. Henry Winkler goes back into the office. Watching this movie with headphones for me, I picked up on so many little things I had never heard before. Cause like, yeah. like you said, the wink is like, Oh, little shits. And then freaking Fred just goes, would you call me? And he's like, Oh, uh-huh. not you, Fred prick. They just close the <laughs> yeah. door. So yeah, the wink heads back into his office and, um, yeah, we get this nice little fake out with the closet and then another startled reaction in the mirror. Um, and he, he looks in his closet, you know, um, pushing aside his, uh, jackets and everything, nothing there looks back out the door and swings the door closed with his back to it. And of course, Ghostface is right behind the door. Um, gets, uh, knifed in the gut and we get the super cool shot as his life slips away of, uh, ghost face reflection in his eye. So and, cool. And I can't remember what movie that's a callback to. Um, I don't remember. It, you know what? It might be psycho actually. Okay. Isn't there, 
I, I feel like uh, when uh, Janet Lee dies early in that film, there's like a reflection in her eye as the life goes out of her or something like that. Uh, yeah, correct think, me if I'm wrong right. in the comments, but uh, you know, uh, God love all the fun little shit that they do in this movie. Um, and immediately because of the uh, death of the principal, we cut to Alice Cooper and schools out. Um, it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, Sid's back at the Riley house and she and Tatum are on the porch and they've got speakers in the window uh, and they're, you know, just having a nice casual conversation about uh, Sid's mom's past indiscretions. Uh, we get a fun little throwaway line about the Richard Gear gerbil story, uh, which was, you know, a thing that people talked about in the 90s. Yep. Um, Sydney starts to come around just a little bit to the idea that Cotton Weary may be innocent and that the killer could be out there. And while they're having this conversation, it feels like somebody's watching them. At least that's how the camera plays. And of mm -hmm. course, it's very true because Ghostface is off in the uh, trees watching them. And we get all these fun little shots over the next like 15 minutes of this movie of Ghostface basically stalking them everywhere. Um, it's cool. I don't mind it. Yeah, I love the the scene where, um, uh, and I guess even the even the scenes before that, but do so just not empathetic about what is going on in their town at all. Like he's just like, oh hey, uh, we don't have class anymore. Thank you, Sydney. Like he mm -hmm. just does not care that people are being killed. He has no remorse at all for anything. He's just like, hey, cool. We don't have to go to school. That's awesome. Let's party. Yep. He, he is your curfew. typical 17, 18 year old. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we cut from here to the video store where Stu's a giant jerk to Randy, but still make sure to invite him to his party. Uh, and they spy Billy talking to a couple of girls over in the horror section, which Randy finds in poor taste. But, you know, Stu defends him that, uh, you know, hey, he was cleared. You know, we're good. Um, but Stu wants to blame Sid's father, who they can't find. Mm. Mm, yeah. And this is where Randy has a massive freak out in front of God and everybody about the whole situation. And this is where Billy sneaks up behind him in the meantime. And we get the, how do we know you're not the killer? Um, and, you know, Randy you know, capitulates a little bit there. But then uh, when they ask about what his motive is, because, of course, Randy was talking to Stu about whether or not he would have a shot with Sydney because Billy's <laughs> on the outs. You know, what would be your motive, Randy? And he says, it's the millennium. Motives are incidental. Motives are incidental. And then we get Billy being absolutely fucking creepy as all get yeah. out and tapping him on the face, telling him he's a good kid. It, it's like, okay, yeah, he's got killer written all over him. Yeah, um, been hanging out with Principal Hembry too much. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, we get the return of Red Right Hand as the town closes down for curfew. Um, I, I don't know why this mother and her child are having a picnic at like, you know, six o'clock at night, but whatever. Um, but yeah, the, the town is clearly shutting down here and, uh, we get Dewey stopping by the station while the girls head to the store to grab snacks and, uh, we get Ghostface stalking them throughout the convenience store. Um, 
I, I don't know who's not seeing this person in this Halloween <laughs> costume, but um, it's cool. It's cool. He's, he's stealthy. Um, Dewey runs into the sheriff uh, after clearly stopping somewhere to grab a little kitty cone. Um, <laughs> he's such a child. Um, yeah, this scene is so great. Just the cops, oh, yeah. the cops smoking to relieve stress and Dewey's just eating ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> like every, also, I think of just time. a little bit to reveal stress because he's treating the ice cream like the cigarette. Yeah. yeah they're going at the same time. It's so good. Uh-huh. That's perfect. Um, so it turns out the calls have been coming from Sid's dad's phone. Now, Dewey wonders if the phone could have been cloned, cloned. And I, you know, I don't know that that was necessarily a thing that people were aware of in 96. I really don't remember because I didn't even have my own cell phone until probably like 99 or 2000. Um, yeah. but it also turns out that the next day is the anniversary of Sydney's mother's death. Uh, mm. So they plan to, you know, try to find uh, Neil Prescott and bring him in before they reveal anything to Sydney. Uh, because I mean, they understand things are pretty hard on her and the, the, the sheriff throws down his uh, cigarette and stomps it out. And uh, Dewey, uh, considers throwing his ice cream on the ground i guess i don't know if he actually does that would be really weird if he did but yeah. uh i can see him doing it though just doing oh, it like, oh man mm-hmm. now he's got to go get something to clean it up and it's, yeah, it's it could be a whole extended thing yeah so we go from there to uh party time at Stu mocker's house um Dewey drops the girls off. I love how there's a killer on the loose. There's a fucking curfew. And yet the cops are still taking the girls to a party where there's going to be tons of underage drinking. And Dewey is there and stops a kid. at one. I'm getting a little ahead, but stops yeah, a kid yeah, yeah. at one point and is like, Hey man, how old are you? No, I'm just kidding. Have fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not like, too Dewey, much fun. On. Not yeah. too much fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they are being followed by uh, Gail and Kenny. And Kenny's a fucking litter bug. Uh, Love him. <laughs> yeah. Love Kenny. <laughs> uh, and we get, you know, beer bongs and loud music and everything else. It's a party. Um, probably the first time I ever saw a beer bong was watching this movie. I'm like, what the? Okay. What is cool. that for? I know. And then, you know, just a few years later in undergrad, it's like, oh yeah, this is clearly what this is for. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, yeah. People are having a good time and, um, uh, we, uh, get the fun little jump scare for Gail with Dewey where I, you know, he stops at the news van, scares the shit out of them. Uh, once more with, uh, the Dewey red herring here because he's, you know, a little creepy here and there. And he stupidly allows her to come with him to check out the party. And mm -hmm. Gail takes the moment to grab this small little wireless camera to plant in the house. Uh, this is, uh, where Randy's pulling the party guests on which horror film they're going to pop on Uh shout out to evil dead. Yep. Because as a 17-year-old in 96, uh, it was certainly not on my radar yet. Uh, real shame, too, because I grew up in, you know, still am here in Michigan. So, you know, real real yeah, shame and, there. And that, that movie must have affected Wes Craven in some way because that's his second Evil Dead reference. There's one in uh, 
nightmare because Johnny Depp's watching it on his TV right before yep. he gets got. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Um, love the Evil Dead movies. So uh, cool. And can't wait for Rise. Um, that we'll see how that one goes. Yeah, I'm a, little, I'm a little on the fence, but that's a that's a conversation for another time. Yeah, you know it. Um, so yes, uh, Randy's pulling everybody, and uh, Stu leaves to go get the door and asks Tatum to go get him a beer. Uh, that feels like a fun little nod to Halloween there. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, you know, most of the kids are thrilled that it's Gail Weathers. Uh, because you know she's such a celebrity for her tiny little pissant news show. Uh, Tatum's just pissed, and Sydney's—I don't know—she's just kind of freaked out that she's mm-hmm. there, probably because Gail has stirred something up in her that she's not ready to deal with. Right. Um, but uh, Tatum just—you know—she's like, "Fuck it!" She heads off to the garage to get some beers, and. Um, she opens and closes the garage door to turn on the light overhead um, because it is an old school garage door that just has the single button and doesn't actually have the light switch. Um, so while she's grabbing beers, the door to the house swings shut and the mocker family cat scares the shit out of Tatum, knocking over some shovels and shit and running out the pet door that's mounted in the garage door. Um yeah, uh, I, I've never seen a pet door built into a garage door before, uh, before either. seeing this film and I've never seen one after. And yeah, it's, it just it's weird. seems like it's something that they just added. They're like, well, we need a scare here. What if it's the cat? Well, yeah, just install a cat door. <laughs> we need to get a way to death by garage door. And in order to do so, how do we make that happen? Okay. Pet door in the garage door. Got it. Um, so the door to the house is locked when she tries to go in and, uh, well, she's like, fuck it. I'll just go around. She opens up the garage door, but before she's able to get through, it comes back down again. Ghostface is there. Um, it's nice and effective the, it, again with Ghostface being super stealthy because he's gotta be because he's the killer in a slasher movie, right? You can't mm-hmm. have him being super loud. Uh, no. She immediately thinks it's Randy. You know, is that you, Randy? Audio listeners, I'm shaking my head, and so is Aaron. Uh, and then uh, she asks, you want to play Psycho Killer? Audio listeners, we are nodding our heads. Uh, can I play the helpless victim? Nods head again. Uh, it becomes clear um, that this is serious when Ghostface brings out a knife and starts slashing at her. Uh, major party follow with the beers there because she mm-hmm. drops them all. Uh, and then, you know, he takes off after her. We get the awesome freezer door uh, of the fridge clothes lining. Again, so hallmark cool. of the films, uh, you know, just how clumsy and inept the killers seem to be uh, for people that always seem to have the upper hand. But again, they're just fucking kids. It's yeah. yeah at the end of the day, this is just another high school kid. Uh, so Tatum actually holds her own pretty well against Ghostface. She's pelting him with beer bottles. Um, it's a good thing. He doesn't have to wear the costume for much longer in this film. Cause it's just going to get gross. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, she tries to make her escape through the cat door in the garage. Ghostface gets a little bit of an idea. 
So she is, of course, stuck halfway in and halfway out in a super tight sweater and short skirt because, of course, she is. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, Ghostface fires up the garage door. And, you know, a lot of people are like, well, how is this garage door opener strong enough to lift uh, this body up with everything else? But you have to understand exactly. uh, it's the springs of a garage door that do all the heavy lifting. The, mm -hmm. the, the opener basically just gives it the tug to get started. This thing right. is on its way up. Um, you know, you, you see plenty of videos of little kids holding onto a garage door and, you know, being able to be taken up. It's, it's not all that. Um, so of course, snap, the garage door snaps Tatum's neck and she dead. Um, and just cut to some of the guests, you know, taken off. Yeah. Like yeah. This, this happens several times throughout the rest of this movie. People just leaving <laughs> at different intervals. Uh, yeah. but this is where uh, Sid's looking around for Tatum. She's thinking of taking off as well. She's kind of over this. Uh, but uh, this is where Billy shows up. He just kind of pops out of the woodwork and gives everybody a little bit of a jump scare. Um, and he's just, you know, he wants to talk to Sid. And uh, Stu offers his parents' bedroom for some privacy uh with very little tact and uh billy calls him on it gives him a little punch to the balls as well um and randy pops up and he's like pissed that leatherface is here and uh he and Stu have a little clueless exchange because i guess clueless was actually out before this film i don't remember that timing Wild. at all it god it, it just makes a person feel old Ugh, sorry but no uh yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Kenny and Gail realize that their camera that they planted has a little bit of a delay, but they love the shots they're getting. It's about 30 seconds. They figure, you know, however long it took Gail to get from the house to the van. Um, and then we cut to the, uh, mocker parents bedroom where Billy tries apologizing to Sid, but she stops him and tries to apologize to him. Um, and I'm thinking to myself as I'm watching this for the umpteenth time, um, God, how gaslit is Sid by Billy? It's yeah, it's unfortunate. <sighs> like, and, yeah. but, but you know, like who knows, maybe after the whole thing with Gail, like that's got her thinking differently. Maybe like that's maybe yeah. one way you could kind of forgive it. But uh, yeah, Billy is just like kind of jerking around everywhere. It's, it's really unfortunate, but you know, we find out that Billy's not all there. Also, really no. fast, uh, you talked about how uh, Kenny and Gail are in the van watching the cameras. So I watched Scream for this this morning. Like, I got done probably two hours before we started recording. And I'm eating snacks, watching the movie, got this backwards hat on. At one point, <laughs> Kenny is eating a Cheeto while wearing a backwards hat. I was eating Cheetos, and I saw myself on the screen. I was like... Whoa, all I was missing was a goatee. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so funny. There you go. That's funny. Um, I, I'll, I'll tell you, um, it took me a long time to get through the notes this week just because mm -hmm. of how much it seemed to flow out of me. Again, clearly, I love this film. And uh, you know, the ones that I really love, it, it becomes a bit of a process getting through. So I'm glad I was able to get done in time, but I was under the wire for sure. Um, yeah. So yeah, they're, they're working on apologizing with each other. And um, 
Let's see here. Yes, she says that she realizes that she can't wallow in grief forever and thinks she needs to admit who her mom really was. Because there's all this talk of her mother being, you know, this uh, village bicycle, so to speak. Everyone gets a ride. Mm-hmm. Um And she's worried that she's going to end up just like her. But uh, Billy comforts her, essentially telling her that she gets to choose what direction her life will take, you know, with this ham-fisted movie analogy about genres. And, uh, you know, they make out a little bit, and uh, Sid decides that she may be ready for sex after all. Meanwhile... The remaining kids are watching John Carpenter's Halloween and Randy goes over the rules. Um, this One is of, if not the most iconic scene from, you this movie. know, it is this had to be in the trailer. I can't remember oh, it, but it had it to was. be hundred percent. It was if, so, it, and it obviously wasn't the whole thing, but it was definitely the, there are rules that one must abide by in order to survive a horror movie. Right. And rule one is no sex. Okay. No, no. The kids are not having that. They're throwing all sorts of stuff at him. Yep. 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 Uh, you know, only virgins can survive the climactic chase scene, blah, blah, blah. Rule two, no drinking or drugs. Yeah. Big no, no, big no, no. This is an extension of rule one. It's the sin factor. Uh, and then three, never, ever say I'll be right back because you won't be. And this is where Stu does his, uh, you know, doofy, uh, you know, anybody on a beer, uh, I'm going to get one. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, I'll be right back. And everybody has fun with that one. Sure. Um, we cut from also, here to Gail. Another, oh, another shout out to Randy. I love that during all of this that's happening in this small town, all these poor kids being killed and their principal and all this stuff, Randy is educating everyone just in the middle of a party with horror movies that he probably got from his job. Because oh, he's yeah. just like, hey, I brought all these tapes. We might as well study. Because earlier in the in the the video store, He's like, no, the police are way too behind on this. If they watched prom night, they'd save time. He has all of these (laughs) ideas in his head of how this is supposed to go. And he ends up being like pretty on the nose about it. Oh yeah. He's like, you guys got to go. I'm trying to keep you safe. while also watch some dope movies at the same time. Yup. Yup. And we cut from the house then to Gail and Kenny watching the rules speech from the van. And um, Dewey knocks on the door and they quickly turn it off because they don't want to get caught. Right. Um, And uh, he lets them know that somebody reported a car in the bushes down the road and he would like to invite Gail to come with him. Um, (laughs) Okay. And to to walk, not drive. Right. Because it's such a nice night. And of course, Gail says to Kenny, be right back. Um, Uh-oh. and he does the awesome flashlight under the face thing with, uh, you know, you're, you're not, not scared, scared are, are you? <laughs> yeah. Once again, with the red herring with the Dewey and it's super effective for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. and of course more kids are leaving while Sid and Billy get it on upstairs. And this is the first of the scenes cutting back and forth with, uh, Halloween. We get the dual planes of action of the kids watching the movie, mostly Randy watching the movie and the stuff kind of, you know, they're they're mirroring each other quite a bit. Um, and this kind of continues throughout the rest of the film. Actually, uh, this is where the phone rings, um, where Randy picks it up. And 
it, this is probably Stu calling at this point, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, this caller is letting them know that the principal principal Hembury's body has been found gutted and hanging from a goalpost at the football field and everybody bugs out leaving Sid, Billy, like, Stu, Randy, go Kenny, look. Gale, and Dewey. Yeah. Yeah. They want to go check him out before they take him down. <laughs> so messed up. horrible, Awful horrible people. Yes. Horrible drunk teenagers. Yes. Um, so yeah, that leaves uh, Sid, Billy, Stu, Randy, Kenny, Gill, and Dewey at the house. That is our uh, final cast here. Uh, Gill and Dewey flirt as they head down the road, um, and they nearly get run down by the kids that just left the party, and they yeah, fall down. The, uh, the kids are just like speeding, Dewey, like stop, stop, stop. And they're just like, nope. Oh yeah, kill this cop if he doesn't move. Oh, they're drunk <laughs> like, as what fuck. What are you guys doing? Yeah, yeah. It's true. Yeah, so they've uh, Dewey and Gail they fall down into the ditch. He lands on top of her. They kiss. Uh, you know, she turns to the side and notices something off screen, and she's like, uh, "Is that what you're looking for?" And he's like, "All oh, my life." <laughs> <laughs> he's such oh, a fucking man. dope. I love I him. Love, he's so I fucking love lovable. Yeah. yeah, he's so sincere. That's the yeah. thing. It's you know kind of to a fault, but he, he's very sincere. Uh, yeah. And they see it's Neil Prescott's car. Like holy shit! Okay, um, so uh, Sid and Billy uh, back to them. They're getting dressed. Uh, that didn't take very long. Uh, and she picks kind of a strange time to ask Billy uh, who he called when he was arrested. Because clearly she's been thinking about all this stuff for the past, you know, uh, five minutes, 45 seconds that, you know, it took for the, you know, previous scene to happen. Um, as I'm sure it did. Um, and yeah, he, he gets a little angry asking her what he needs to do to prove he isn't a killer. And, you know, she's like, God, oh, my God. And then looks up and sees that ghost face is behind him. And, oh, my God, he turns around and gets stabbed in the gut. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And we get one of those iconic shots of ghost face using his glove to clean the blade. It's so cool. He's so considerate every time to clean it. He doesn't cross contaminate anybody. Right. Right. That or leave much of a blood trail, I guess, uh, from a dripping blade. Um, Maybe a little bit of both. I don't know. Um, But yeah, Ghostface knifes Billy to death. Uh, Sid flees only to be cornered by him on the stairs. Uh, She manages to knock him down with the door to the attic and she barricades herself in with a surfboard. Uh, She's kind of pounding at the window for help because she sees the news van in the distance still there. Um she looks, finds another window as uh, Ghostface is starting to breach the door. She kind of climbs half out onto the roof. Um, and then when she looks back, he's reaching uh, out the window and they tussle a little bit. And she falls off onto a boat that's parked into the driveway. And that has to hurt like a motherfucker. Oh, it's, yeah. It's not just this tarp that's stretched to catch her fall. It's like no. draped over seats it's, and stuff. Your body's yeah. going to feel that. It, 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 yeah, it's going to it's gonna be a visit to the chiropractor at the very least. Oh, hell yeah. Unless, hell yeah. Uh, if not, like some permanent damage. 
Yep, yep. She's absolutely slipped a disc or something with this. Oh, yeah. Um, So let's see here. Uh, Yeah, she falls out on the boat. And when she gets up after she rolls off, she finds Tatum's body stuck in the garage door um, and freaks out and runs away. And this is where we get back to Jamie Kennedy as Randy yelling at Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween on the TV to be careful because she's being stalked as he's being stalked by Ghostface. This is the height of 96 meta. Absolutely. Um, he's basically talking to himself. Jamie, turn around. Turn around, Jamie. Uh-huh. It's perfect. I love the callback to this in Scream 5. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so good. Um, but Ghostface almost strikes, but pauses when he hears Sid screaming outside and drunk Randy obsessed with the movie. Can't hear a thing. I suppose convenient for the plot. Um, but, uh, she runs into Kenny in the news van. Uh, you know, she begging him for help and he shows her that they've got a camera feed inside the house. Um, and they see Randy about to get knifed, but Kenny knows that the camera's got about a 30 second delay. So he's going to go save him. And instead he gets his throat slipped by Ghostface. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But not Kenny. before kind of like alluding to the fact that there's like a back door in the van that Sydney can escape through. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank God for that, because, uh, yeah, uh, Ghostface stabs Sid in the shoulder and they tussle a little bit more, but she manages to get away through that back door. Um, and uh, this is where Dewey and Gail get back to the house. And, um, you know, he tells her to call the sheriff for backup from the van as he goes to investigate inside. Um that news van must have been a decent ways away from everything because I don't know how the three of them didn't run into each other, but, Mm -hmm. uh, well, I guess Sid was like busting up that fence or something to get across the field or something like that. I don't know. Maybe she was taking taking a roundabout way. Who knows? But, um, yeah, uh, he runs inside and Jamie Lee's screams fill the house and you get the, you know, the diegetic uh, music from Halloween uh, scoring this scene as yeah, well. Yeah, it's used so well. I love that. Um, yeah, that's it's and it happens multiple times throughout the rest of this film. It's great because the John Carpenter score is great awesome oh yeah again not to you know poo poo uh marco beltrami's uh score in this film which is a really good horror score too oh it's awesome but uh i mean carpenter is just the goat um so yeah uh at this point we cut back to gail get into the van and she finds blood everywhere so she gets a little freaked out she hops into the driver's seat and uh grabs a zach morris phone to call 911 because mm-hmm. it is a big honking cell phone right yeah. um and this is where randy pops up outside the driver's side window to ask her what's going on she smashes his face <laughs> with this big ass <laughs> cell phone and she fires up the van to get away uh, and finds the windshield covered in blood uh, that's always fun. Um, yeah. And then, uh, she backs up and slams on the brakes and defying physics. Uh, <laughs> this causes Kenny's body to slide down onto the windshield. Um, I had to think about this as I was watching him, like that wouldn't work that, that would way. make him go backwards. Yes. He would have flown yeah. off the back of the van, but mm-hmm. a movie logic, whatever. Yeah. 
anti-grav Kenny. I don't know. Um, (laughs) but, uh, yeah. Um, this happens and she's like, get off my fucking windshield. I'm sorry, but get off my fucking windshield (laughs) and just whipped the poor guy off. Oh man. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Um, um, so she, uh, fires off down the, uh, driveway here. And this is where Sydney pops up in the headlights screaming for help. And Gail swerves to avoid her and ends up crashing the van. Um, all right. So Sid runs to the house calling out for Dewey. He opens up the front door and collapses from a knife wound in his back. This is where Ghostface steps into frame and retrieves his knife, chasing Sid down the sidewalk to do his truck. Um, she hops inside, locks the doors, and she's looking around for the keys, and we get the little tap, tap, tap of the knife on her window. Jingle, jingle, jingle. Yeah. Yeah, it's perfect. Just so good. The physicality to Ghostface and just the the just the little the little touches in uh, his movements are just so much fun. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the fact that he, he showed her that he had the keys played all of his cards and then immediately, instead of walking around the car goes underneath and you don't know where he's going to be. Then doors start mm-hmm. unlocking. So he's like, Oh, like frantically play, trying to yep. undo everything. Yep, so, yep. So well done. Yep. So yeah, she's freaking out trying to keep the doors locked and, um, then she notices, oh yeah, radio. Um, so you know she's trying to make a call on the radio, and uh, meanwhile, very silently, the back hatch of the truck is opening up, and he's crawling in. Um, they fight, but Sid slips away, falling out of the passenger door. She gets about halfway to the front door of the house, uh, up the sidewalk. There, looks behind, and Ghostface is gone, completely gone. And then she starts going for the door again. And this is where Randy's, uh, you know, popping into frame and, uh, you know, limping a little bit. Cause, uh, I don't know exactly how that happened. Cause I thought it was his face that got smashed, but, uh, he comes limping into frame saying that they got to get the fuck out of there. And, uh, Sid grabs Dewey's pistol. Uh, and she clearly doesn't trust anybody at this point. Uh, so Randy's screaming about finding Tatum and how he thinks Stu did it immediately. Stu comes flying out of nowhere and, uh, you know, asking Sid not to listen to Randy. And he thinks that he probably did it. Sid's like, fuck you both. And she slams the front door (laughs) in their faces and you hear them arguing with each other outside and calling for her and accusing each other and shit. And, um, yeah, um, I, I'm not so sure about the sudden hostility toward Randy, but I get it. She's been attacked. Her best friend is dead. Her boyfriend was just killed, you know, knifed in front of yeah, her. Yeah, it, it um, could have also just been the fact that she was just fighting Ghostface and he's gone. And the first person who immediately shows up is Randy. So it could right. just be like, I don't trust you. Get away from me. Yep, yep, yep. She is out for number one at this point, and I don't yeah. blame her. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, she's kind of leaning against the front door as she's listening to them. And this is where Billy comes falling down the stairs. Um, 
and then you know she she goes to check on him she can't believe that he's still alive and he's like no no i'm okay and he gets up and he kind of you know limps a little bit to the front door ends up taking the gun from her and she's like immediately in girlfriend mode letting him take control and um he opens up the door and um yeah, uh, lets Randy in. Stu's nowhere to be found. And Randy's like, Stu's flipped out. He's gone mad. We all get a little mad sometimes. And oh, Bam. fuck. Bam. Yeah, oh, shit. <laughs> Goes flying through that hall table. Um, and uh, yeah, this is where Billy mentions that that was a reference to Psycho and that the blood on his shirt is corn syrup, the same as they used for the pig's blood in Carrie. And Sid's like, what the fuck is going on? She tries to run and Stu's there in the doorway to the kitchen. And he's got the voice changer. Surprise, Sydney. And yes, there are two killers and they reveal that, yes, they're going to kill her too. Um, I can't remember how much of a surprise this was in my first viewing of this way back when, but it's a fun reveal. Absolutely. Um, like, cause like, at first you're like oh shit billy's the killer and then stew's there and it's like there's two of them mhm it's cra- yeah. it's crazy yeah and it's something that they continue in all but one film too mm-hmm. you know future spoilers but there's typically two killers um so you know when she tells him that they're never going to get away with it billy reveals that they were the ones that killed her mother and framed cotton they're pretty confident in their abilities and this is uh Stu's line of watch a few movies take a few notes it was fun <laughs> it was fun mm-hmm. he's such a cornball god um, bless matthew lillard i oh love god. this whole performance from now until oh, the end of the movie yeah it's so he's great. absolutely deranged completely uh, coated with cheese but I like oh, meal yeah. cheesy. Oh yeah, you know it. Uh, so Sid asks why, and uh, you know Billy's like, "Why? Why? You hear that, Stu? She wants to know why." Um, you know, scarier when there is no motive, isn't it? You know, they bring up uh, Hannibal Lecter and uh, a few other characters, and how you know it's more terrifying because you just you don't know what their actual motives are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Billy offers his own motive. Sid's mom was sleeping with his dad, and that's the reason that his mother skipped out on him. Talks about how that messed him up, and how losing a parent certainly messed her up enough to have sex with a psychopath. And uh, this is where Stu gets really excited about this. Um, you know, and, and now she has to die because she's no longer a virgin. Those are the rules. Um, and he also remembers oh, they've got another surprise for her. And he brings in uh, Sid's dad all tied up with duct tape. Um, yeah. Pulled him out right out of the pantry. Yep. Yep. Um, Which, was he there during the entire party? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. <laughs> There's God, I hope not, because that they were really chancing it if that's the case. Um yeah, that literally. said, I, I don't know where they stuck his ass if uh yeah. you know. But uh yeah, yeah, he's all tied up with duct tape and Stu plants the voice changer in the clone cell phone in Mr. Prescott's jacket pocket, and they reveal that they plan to make it look like he uh you know kind of broke and uh went on a killing spree on the anniversary of his wife's death and ultimately end up uh finishing things by stabbing Sidney to death and shooting himself in the head. Um 
Yes. And then we get a super disturbing uh, scene of Stu and Billy taking turns stabbing each other to make themselves look like victims. Mm-hmm. This is pretty brutal. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. I, I do like that because uh, Billy stabs Stu and he kind of gets him. And then he's like, all right, my turn. And you can tell that Stu is kind of annoyed how bad he got him. So he's like, Billy's like, uh, yeah, just remember, stick to the side and don't go too deep. He's like, okay. And then he just kind of gets him back like as equally as he got got. And it's just like, you guys are picking the worst time to fall apart during this. Yep. Yep. And then Billy returns the favor multiple times over. Still, Stu only got one Mm -hmm. lick in. Only one lick, yeah. but uh, Which, Billy. Uh, apparently, that that scene or that moment where they're stabbing each other is apparently way longer in the like kind of now lost uncut version. Okay, um, and I'm sure they had to cut that down just to get that R rating. Absolutely, you know, at the time. they did that. Yeah. And uh, at the beginning of the film, when uh, Casey Becker is hanging there. Originally, that was a bit slower of a shot, but they gave it like that cool 90 zoom, which I think is better. Yeah. And then uh, also. Uh, Casey's uh, Steve, Casey's boyfriend yeah. uh, at the beginning, like in the unrated, apparently like you see like all of his insides, like fall out instead of just, being Oh, out okay. Already. It's pretty Gotcha. Brutal. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be a little extra gross. Um, yeah. but yeah, no, I, I get them trying to take it down a notch for the rating. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, Billy, uh, you know, t- he tells Stu to go grab the gun while he unties pops. Uh, but the gun isn't where Stu left it. That's right. Motherfuckers. Gail's back. <laughs> uh, you know, she describes an alternate ending to their story where she saves the day and said, can get behind that. You know, she's finally on Gail's side, I realizing like that, that she was very <laughs> wrong. Yes. Yes. Um, so (laughs) this is where Billy's like, I know something you don't as she tries to shoot him and can't quite get things to work there. Um, yeah, he ends up kicking her through the open front door and into a porch post and he leans over her body and says, works better without the safety on, um, and he backs up a little bit. No, first of all, cracks his neck extra hard after saying that that is loud yeah it was Um, crazy probably happened when he fell down the stairs yeah yeah he he could be another one that needs a trip to the chiropractor after this (laughs) film but uh yeah he backs up to finish her off with the gun but Stu realizes that sid and her father have vanished because he's been distracted by all the shenanigans going on with uh gail um this is where the phone rings and we get this awesome banger of a line from Stu. Should I let the machine get it? <laughs> so good. <laughs> so good. I stupid. love Matthew Willard. Oh God. Billy answers the phone and it's Sid with the voice changer. Are you alone in the house? She asks. <laughs> uh, and, and I love how throughout, you know, uh, the, the sequences with uh, Billy and Stu without the uh, the costume on. Clearly, their voice is combined with uh, Jackson's voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can tell it is them. Uh, and in this moment, you can clearly tell it's Sid. So Billy's pissed. And uh, oh, then she. So pissed. 
oh, he is over you the top bitch, angry. Where are you at? Like he's mm-hmm. unhinged at this point. Yeah, and then she lets him know that she just called the cops and uh, let them know it was them. He yells at Stu to go find them, but Stu's not doing too well with his wounds at this point. Yeah. I think uh, you cut me too deep, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, instead, uh, you know, he tells Stu to go ahead and take the phone and talk to her. So you know, clearly he can keep her on the line. He can try tracking her down. And we get this glorious bit where uh, Billy takes the phone back to rage at Sydney and then throws the receiver at Stu's head. Oh, uh, you hit me with the phone, dick. Yeah. Also, yeah. Uh, right before that, I love when uh, Billy hands Stu the phone and Stu is like dying. He's bleeding everywhere and just so politely goes, hello. Like, answers the question. Yeah. And he's so, like, did you really call the police? Yeah. Oh, my mom and dad are going to be so mad at me. Uh, what's your motive, Stu? Peer pressure. I'm far too sensitive. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, Billy starts looking for Sid in the hall closet, but he's distracted by Halloween still playing on the TV. And it's the end closet scene where Laurie jabs the uh, coat hanger in Michael's yep. eye. And mm-hmm. this is where Sid comes tearing out of the closet uh, in the ghost face costume. And she stabs Billy in the chest a couple of times with an umbrella, um, mm-hmm. which is and the, the first, the first time. So a fun little behind the scenes thing. So when she comes out, she had like a pad, but then when she mm-hmm. stabs him again, like she, she missed the pad completely and hit Skeet Ulrich. So that reaction was legit. Ooh, nice. Nice. Uh, it feels pretty damn real. Yeah. Um, so he's knocked out and she strips off the costume and throws the gun at the front door just in time for Stu to get his second win and come charging at her out of the kitchen. Um, they, they tumble into the living room and they do this little flip where she rolls onto her back and flips him off of her. Mm-hmm. Um, oh God. Um, also, and, shout, out to, uh, shout out to Sydney for just like, committing and putting the whole costume on <laughs> instead of oh, just yeah. coming out with the umbrella she's like nah i'm just gonna do all of it just to mess with them also she's yeah. lucky police didn't show up then otherwise she would have probably oh, been yeah. arrested no she probably would have been gunned down at that oh, yeah. point <laughs> but uh yeah yeah um they they do their little tumble and uh they're struggling with each other she knees him in the balls but he smacks her across the face then they flip over the co- uh, couch and into the coffee table there um and, uh, you know, he pins her to the ground, telling her that uh, he always had a thing for her. Well, she smashes his head with this vase. And while he's dazed on the floor, she sends the TV crashing down onto his so face with an in your dreams. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's such a good death. And, you know, after Stu fries, because he's clearly being electrocuted, in addition mm-hmm. to having a heavy ass CRT drop yeah. on his face, because you remember how how heavy those fuckers yeah, were. Yeah, those things I mean, were that, a pain in the ass to move oh, around. Yeah. That was probably only like a 27-inch TV, and you always grabbed a friend to move one of those mm-hmm. because you were going to drop that sucker otherwise. Yeah, it was like um, moving a refrigerator. Yes. <laughs> they were heavy duty. They were ridiculous. Now you can take, you know, like a flat screen like the one behind me, which isn't super big, but you can like one-arm that thing. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, the in your dreams line, he fries, uh, she walks back to the hall, uh, front hall and she kind of slumps down between Billy and Randy and she's startled when Randy wakes back up and he's, she's like, Oh my God, Randy, I thought you were dead. 
I probably should be. I never thought I'd be so happy to be a virgin. (laughs) (laughs) Yup. And Billy pops back up and punches him in the face fucking hard uh, and tries strangling Sydney. And you get this great say hello to your mother line. Mm-hmm. And that just enrages her, right? And she yeah. jams her finger into the wound from the umbrella and he screams in pain. He's like rising up to stab her one last time. And that's where Gail gets her clean shot and she shoots him Absolutely. in the shoulder, blowing him off, uh, back off his head. And she gets the great line of, guess I remember the safety that time, you bastard. <laughs> yeah. So great. It's so good because she's clearly in pain and just pissed off yeah, she was in a and, car accident and it's also probably concussed yeah yeah her back's probably not doing so hot from getting blown against that uh uh, uh that post porch post yeah. yep um so yeah uh we got sid gail and randy standing over billy kicking him to see if he's awake and we get the great line from randy careful this is the moment when the supposedly dead killer comes back to life for one last scare and True to life. Um, yep. Yep. Uh, <coughs> uh, this is where Billy, Billy pops up. up and they all kind of scream a little bit, but Sydney shoots him in the forehead and says, Point "Not." Blank. Oh yeah. Yeah. Great shot too. Not in my movie. She says, uh, and then they're all super startled when Sid's dad bursts out of the closet that she was in. Um, I I love how she didn't even take the time to, you know, get him free of the duct tape and everything. Uh, But she asks Randy to help out with that. And Randy, you know, he's so roughed up from getting shot in the shoulder himself that he can't really do much. Um, And then we get a shot of uh, Dewey awake and alive being loaded up into an ambulance. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thank God for that is one of my favorite things about this. So in this movie, he gets stabbed in the back and then Uh he gets taken away and he's obviously alive and minor, very, very minor future spoilers. But Dewey has a limp for every other movie after this. Oh yeah. It's very cool. Like it's a cool piece of continuity that it's like, I love that they committed damage. Yeah. Yeah. They, they committed super hard to that part of the story and you know, good for them. Um, I, I love how this, uh, series, uh, the, the films just build on each other with the lore and mm-hmm. it works. Um, so we get him lo- being loaded up and we cut to Gail, uh, finally getting her big exclusive. And I, I don't know who she found to, you know, be her little crew there. I don't know if they're yeah. teenagers that, you know, just happened by or what, but she's Penny's running. Body is probably still lying in the field. <laughs> she's just like, give me a camera guy right now. Still oh, yeah. banged up, like beat up. From uh-huh. the car accident. She's like, no, we got to do this right now. Yeah, and I love how they are allowed to wander through this crime scene filming. Yeah, yeah this like still active, very active crime scene. Yeah, like uh, earlier we we didn't mention it earlier, but uh, the part where she's talk where Gail is talking to Kenny about like there's a killer on the loose and Cotton Weary might not have killed Maureen Prescott, and she's like, if I can prove this, I can save a man's life. And Kenny like sees like good in Gail. And then Gail's like, do you know what that can do for my book sales? Just uh-huh. she does not care. She's like, nope. I just want to, I want to win a Pulitzer or whatever it is that reporters win. But it, oh man, it's so, yep. it's so perfect. 
Yep, and we we get her with this uh, newfound crew, uh, basically doing a dry run of what she's going to say uh, in her piece. And mm-hmm. um, you know, as the camera kind of moves up and uh, you know shifts focus off of the house into the distance, and you know you hear her say, "Okay, let's walk it back, and we'll do it." Um, and uh, they kind of fade out, and we get this one final flash of Ghostface before credits. And the credits do that super fun thing where they have, you know, images of the uh, characters along with the actors' names. And Mm -hmm. I love that they brought that back for uh, Scream 5. Um, Yeah, me too. That was a very nice touch. Yeah, it's it's something that you don't see every day anymore. And Mm -hmm. yeah, a fun little callback. Uh, But yeah, that's that's Scream 96. Yeah. So good. Oh, it, it's it's so crazy to me that that Wes Craven did this movie and reinvented the genre that he was already oh, once yeah. a king of. Like it's it's so crazy to me, and it just you know, obviously solidifies him as one of the best horror directors ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's horror came back in a big way throughout the late nineties and then the aughts. And Mm -hmm. you definitely have this film to thank for that. Absolutely. Um, And there's, there's plenty of other, you know, good ones here and there too. But I I feel like without this, it just, it would not have been the same. Mm -mm. 100% agree. Yeah. And then uh, again, this spawned a great franchise too. That's still kicking all these years later. Yeah, yeah it, it's it's so crazy to me that a year ago we had a new Scream film, and mm-hmm. one year later there's one coming out in two months. Like it, in each year we have a Scream movie. I'm so excited. Yeah, that 14 month turnaround feels like um, you know it, there was a shorter one, of course, between Scream mm-hmm. and Scream Two, because uh, right. I was a freshman in college then uh, seeing Scream Two, but um, yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, I'm happy that they were able to get this new one out so fast, but hopefully that doesn't affect the quality. Uh, you know, and there's a few people that are certainly trepidatious about it because of that. Uh, Mm -hmm. and, and then some people that were displeased by the, uh, the most recent trailer, just because of things that they felt weren't quite so ghost face, you know, namely the shotgun and the convenience store. Ghostface has had a gun in all of these movies at one point or another, maybe not necessarily in costume, but you know, it's bound to happen eventually. I think uh, yeah. Ghostface with a shotgun is cool. Oh, me too. And, the, it's, and it's playing on the whole thing where he says, I'm different. Like the, I, this version of Ghostface is supposed to be mm-hmm. different. So, you know, forget everything, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't wait to see how this one plays out. I know uh, Prince Jackson has this theory that uh, this could be this whole cult of Ghostface thing. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, I, I'm curious to see how that plays out. Um, yeah, I love all the stuff in the trailer of like the big giant shrine, and it has like mm-hmm. so many little Easter eggs in that little bit that you see. Like like Tatum's clothing are in there. I know. I, I the don't TV know. That was dropped on Stu's head is in there. And like, then the, the ghost face costumes from all of the killers all yeah. lined up too. So yeah. Cool. Um, I have no idea how somebody would come by all that. Maybe some of the replicas, who knows, but, uh, but yeah, I can't wait to see how this plays out and, you know, keep them coming. 
you know, do part yeah. seven and bring Nev back. Absolutely. Uh, like I, I can, I can totally understand why Sydney wouldn't be involved every single time. But at the same time, like Sydney is like, and Nev Campbell, I guess more to an extent, Nev has paid mm-hmm. her dues in this franchise and she deserves oh, yeah. to be paid fairly. So you get like mm-hmm. the, the argument can be made and is happening that you can't do a scream film without Sydney Prescott, but also Sydney Prescott kind of is the franchise. Yeah. So, you know, and who knows, who knows? We could get a little surprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just saying it's, um, I, I wouldn't put it past them. Um, it, for whatever reason, I had no idea we were getting Skeet Ulrich, uh, you know, again, future spoilers in yeah. scream five. Um, that was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I did not expect that and was happy that that didn't get spoiled for me too. So yeah, if you are watching these for the first time, uh, sorry, cause sorry. Uh, just kind of spoiled that, but, uh, I can't imagine why you're watching this if you haven't, uh, you know, watched these films to begin with, but yeah, I mean, good for you. I guess. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Aaron, uh, any, uh, any final thoughts on, uh, scream 96, man, this movie is so fun. And so like it, it's not necessarily a comfort movie, but it is one of those movies that I have seen so many times growing up that I feel like it has earned its spot as a comfort movie. It's just like, Oh yeah, I'll just throw scream on in the background while I'm doing something. Just sure. as background noise, and then you can stop and just like watch that really cool moment. The performances oh, it, are are so much fun. Like the cinematography is great. The the score is awesome. The use of uh, all the references for all the other movies, including the amazing score from Halloween, is so like expertly done. And it is expertly done because it's Wes Craven. So uh, yeah, I love this movie so much. Yeah, it is so quotable. And uh, mm-hmm. so many iconic bits here and there. Just fucking love it. Um, and can't wait to continue on this little series with the show and uh, see how it all comes together in March. Um, looking forward to that uh, for sure. Uh, Aaron, if you'd like, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me pretty much anywhere uh, with the at or backslash Aaron Roots 427. Uh, I'm on YouTube. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, uh, TikTok, all the places that you would find somebody who's just trying to make entertaining content for everybody. Uh, I've made a lot of YouTube videos recently. Uh, I've mostly been doing movie trailer reactions, but it's a lot of fun to do. I like getting my yeah. friends in here and just talking about movies and uh, guesting on other people's shows and talking about movies, clearly. Um, yeah, but yeah, if we'll you like uh, comedy or you like just hearing about nerdy stuff, I'm your guy. Let's hang out. Let's talk. Let's chat. Awesome. Awesome. Well, look forward to more of that. And uh, I'm sure at some point or another, we'll try to get you back on too. I would love um, that. Yeah. And again, thank you so much for the logo treatment. That's super dope. I was not expecting that, but uh, we'll make that the logo for 2023 for sure. Sounds good. Cool. Well, thanks again, Aaron. Uh, This has been Murders with Mertens, a horror film podcast. Thank you for letting us tickle your ear holes. Please like, share, and subscribe if you are so inclined. I'll be back soon enough with another episode, but until next time, stay spoopy, everyone.